112263 premiered on February 15th, 2016 on Hulu. Let's put 80 minutes on the clock. Pilot study, Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode that means the first show. In case you didn't know. You never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study. I am your host, Chris Leontine, and I'm joined, as always, he's calling the knockout in round six, it's John Grimes! <laughs> yes, sir. Happy to be here. I broke the cardinal rule. I've already said your first name. It's so okay. Your, your cover's blown, but again, <laughs> people that are listening to this, these are, these are the true fans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so today, we're doing a more current show. This is a little break from our theme month of Wrong Side of the Tracks. If you haven't checked those episodes out, we have both the OC and Orphan Black in that theme month. We'll be continuing with Roseanne, and if you're listening to this, it'll be a couple days after this episode drops that you'll get one on Roseanne, and then we're going to be finishing that up, and well, we've got our next theme already planned, and I think people will be very, very excited about it. But yes. today, we are talking the James Franco, the Stephen King the J.J. Abrams, the other not-so-famous people that are involved, <laughs> 11-22-63, which had its very first episode on Hulu just a few days ago. It's an 80-minute episode. Do you think we've ever spoken for 80 minutes straight, or are we going to get to 60 and just grow tired of each other? I Yeah, we definitely have... The longest we've ever talked was the OC episode. We've been on car trips that were 80 minutes long, and half of it we didn't speak. <laughs> so. We just we plotted out our time to make sure we didn't uh, get uh, oh, burned out on each other. So we might just have to take a break in the middle of this just to um, have a vent session about how much we hate each other. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what we're going to do. So I wanted to start with Stephen King, because obviously okay. he's the author... Uh, of the original book, and he is a huge pop culture figure, but I feel like I can already guess that both me and you have not had as much experience in The King as a lot of our listeners will have had. For sure not. There are <laughs> there are glimpses of him in my life. Some of them I care not to remember okay. because they scare the crap out of me to this day. Yeah, if you have followed the show, you'll know that we were both I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. We were both pussies growing up. <laughs> <laughs> to so to we, quote Donald Trump, yes, we are. But we, yeah, we were leftist pussies. And, it's uh, hard to watch scary stuff when you're just a little kid with mm-hmm. you know nowhere to go but bed. I, 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 I do have a relationship with Stephen King, though, and I have that relationship through my mother. She has every Stephen King book that wow. has ever been released. She is really the only author that I've ever seen her into. Like huh. I don't, I don't know if this is just like a general, a generational thing, but she's so attached to Stephen King that if I bought her, like I bought her the um, like Gillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn, the Gone Girl, um, Sharp Objects, whatever that like trilogy of books that she wrote is, because I thought I don't know, this is kind of close to like Stephen King twisty, suspenseful storytelling. I don't mm. even think she's cracked it open. If it's not yeah, if, it's, I, if it's not the king, she's she's not doing it. <laughs> I get the sense that he's one of those people whose fans are diehard or just not in at all. Like I'm, 
I like Shawshank. A lot of people don't know that he wrote that. Um, well, and of course we're talking about the movie adaptations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've I've liked his movies before. I, of course, everybody likes Shawshank, and I like The Mist, um, and and that whole ending that is pretty uh, pretty famous now. Uh, the movie I was big time scared of as a kid was It. Yeah. Man. Yes. What even the like, hell? Even like the VHS cover, I was not into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The book covers are even were even scary. Now that he writes like more, he kind of went on a sci fi phase, I guess, of his writing. It's mm-hmm. not all like. But that shit in the 80s and, like, up to the mid-90s, I couldn't look at the man's name on a book without right. being up all night. Like, Cujo is the one that stands out for me. Oh, really? Um, the, Pet the, Cemetery. That, that, was pro- that was probably released, like, right in the thralls of your youth, too. Yes, and it was just... I had these older cousins, and, I mean, these kids, to this day, were not even really that close. Like, because they... These same cousins made me watch Nightmare on Elm Street and then took me down to a basement. They made right, me watch yeah, Cujo at Pet Cemetery, and like said that that's where their dog is going to end up pretty soon and come back and kill me. Mm. They told me there was no Santa. I mean, these bastards ruined my life. Yeah, and but so, in, like, in, in the Santa situation, they were just being honest with you. But I was five. Maybe, <laughs> like, can maybe, you maybe like a nine? little too early. <laughs> And I mean, this was around the sim. I, I think I was seven when I watched my first Stephen King movie, and I'm I've been scarred ever since. Can we go on like a little Santa aside here? Do you sure. think it's Do you think it's like a healthy belief to to push to children across the nation? Like, why is it so wrong if the belief was just that people that love you are buy you presents on this day? Like, what, because, what, Chris, what's so bad about that? People need. Now, this isn't everybody, but the average person, look at the bell curve of life. The average person is a bastard. They will do anything to screw over anyone to get ahead. People need to be scared. When you're a kid, it's Santa. Then you work in the Jesus. Oh, that, the, that's yeah, your the, adult Santa. The scare you know? factor. I, okay. All right. If they're not scared of punishment, they'll just be evil, right? That's I, I, the assumption. I, I totally forgot about the scare factor. The naughty list and the nice list is yeah. obviously the driving force here. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, my mom was really, really into Stephen King. So, again, she would be watching the movies, and I would, like, catch a part of it, sprint out of the room, make an excuse, yeah. go, go take a really long poop. Cry. I would just <laughs> cry and hide and be like, F this. You know, just I would try to avo- <laughs> avoid it at all costs. She has a big DVD rack of all the movies, like Langoliers and even, like, the TV stuff she was into so i'll have to tell her that this is available i hope she can figure out how to use hulu that's going to be the big hurdle where, <laughs> yeah. where i grew up like streaming video is not really an option so i'll have to like get her the episodes and have her watch it but uh, i i'm pretty sure I, i'm fairly certain this book is in her collection and has read it but i grew up on just knowing who stephen king was same and really he has a couple books that aren't like horror influence like if you are a creative type I would definitely check out on writing, which is his just pure writing book, which I had to read for um, had to read for co- a college writing class. Hmm. And he also wrote a book for sports fans. It was really a, like a collection of emails, but he wrote something about the Red Sox and the year they won the, that first World Series when they came back from three no, uh, three nothing yeah. down. Yeah, he had like this big. It was with some other writer, and it was just their emails back and forth throughout the season. And it turned into like this book project, and it's actually a really entertaining read if you are in, if you remember watching baseball that year, or anything like that. But getting into the show, obviously we have that Stephen King specter kind of hanging above everything. But 
And he's, you know, famously hated some of his movie adaptations, The Shining most famously, and what Kubrick did to it. And um, I think he's, I, it's, he seems like he's actually kind of involved in, like, promoting this. I'd have to check his Twitter. He's pretty active on Twitter, I think. Have he's you... been in the media a lot more recently, I've noticed, just for politics. He's pretty uh, liberal dude, and um, yeah. I think he's getting kind of pissed off with the whole Trump thing, so he's speaking up. That's where I've seen him most recently, but, you know... People are in the press for a lot of reasons. Okay, so to everyone on his Twitter feed, to everyone who watched the debut of eleven twenty two sixty three, just one word, thanks, and oh, and oh, and four more. Come back next week. So he's obviously <laughs> he's involved in this. I think Sweet. he I think he was involved in Under the Dome as well. That other that CBS King show that didn't turn oh, out so yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. People I people about weren't that. happy with that one. Hmm. Shocker! And, CBS made something subpar. Shocker! CBS extended it to three seasons. Yeah, <laughs> they gave him a twenty-season run and a million a week. Hey, just throw money at it. Isn't it great that we can have like this, like mini-series type culture now, where a big actor like Franco can come and say, "All right, I'll do TV. I'll give you eight episodes of me because it's not going to take it's not going to take up eight years of my life." Right, like, like I a movie. Can, I can stop down. I can do eight episodes. It's kind of like a mini movie. It's it's almost the same thing that's happening with the. Um... Now this isn't on the same level because none of these guys are on the level of Franco, but that new OJ show. Yeah, yeah. You're able to uh, you know to um, to gather up this crazy cast, and again, most of them are way past their prime. But it's because they don't have to come back next year, and they don't have to do this. Like, all right, we might go five, six seasons, and this is like your. Your golden ticket to to money, but it's it's. Uh, I guess somebody called it the golden handcuffs. Like it's gonna get you paid, and you're gonna get you know all these um, pay all this pay after the fact if you go into syndication. But it, you're also not gonna be able to do the movies you want. You're gonna have to turn down things that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. You know, it's kind of it's this uh it's this weird arrangement that kind of ruins doesn't ruin, but it certainly stalls a lot of careers. Yeah, but it, it is, on the other hand, it's cool because while they are past their prime, if they shine in one of these projects, right? Um, it could it could lead to them. a lot better. Yeah, like, like it being in a Tarantino movie, you know, he puts these guys in there that maybe were real famous 10, 15 years ago. Where, where are you at in your, your Tarantino rewatch? I know that last time you were Pulp Fiction... Or Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, and then you watched oh, Inglorious Bastards. Have you yep, continued? Yeah, then I watched... Yeah, I watched Django and Reservoir Dogs this week, and I believe The Hateful Eight is out on Redbox now. And if it is, I'm going to watch it like tonight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, but I don't. I don't think it's out on Redbox yet. It might still be in like, your local theaters. All right, it's not. I believe you. I live in Raleigh, so we get movies for about a day. <laughs> Unless it's some pile of shit like How to Be Single, then it's in here for months. But <laughs> so I think it's about time we get into some title talk. Let's do it. So title talk. Is of course our section where we hit on title sequences, and this time around we've got a title sequence, you know, heavily related to that JFK assassination. So I guess it's important to do a little plot synopsis. Uh, Franco, James Franco, his character, which I've already forgot his name. They don't really emphasize the name in this. Episode. Jake is all Jake, I remember right? off the, off the bat. It's like Jake Eppins or something is his yeah. real name, and he still goes by Jake when he goes back in time. So Jake is going back in time to stop the assassination of JFK, but he has dropped three years earlier, so you kind of have to hang out for like three years. 
and then stop it. So that's kind of like the twist uh, that comes along with, with this show. Now, the title sequence very much goes off that JFK assassination in that it starts from a scope, uh, the scope of a rifle, and the line of sight that they show from the window to the car eventually becomes like this... Uh, I don't even know what it's called when like you have all the strings up on the board connecting things. Yeah, I just I know it's not string theory, but that's what I call it because <laughs> it's a weird conspiracy like conspiracy strings. Yeah, it's like a, a mental map, I guess. Yeah, yeah, is a good way of putting it. Homeland, Homeland made it famous most recently. <laughs> um, I don't know what what did you think about the title sequence? Um, the music didn't really the music wasn't music really sucked. Stri- striking in any way. <laughs> the music kind of sucked through this whole thing. It the- reminded me of uh, the beginning of Desperate Housewives, that music, which, God, that's mm. kind of weird that I remembered it right off the bat. But, mm. but yeah, I liked the opening overall. I'm, I'm into conspiracy strings. I like the model aspect that, that comes back later when he's talking to his buddy. Right. Um, you see, I didn't even cool. I didn't realize they were going for the model. I thought... Everything looked very cartoony, cartoony to me, but I guess it makes sense if it's like the models that that guy had built to kind of replicate the event. And I also like how they flash forward to a yellow card, which comes back. Uh, the guy with the yellow card, the bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, they showed the card, so that's got to mean. So I'm always trying to really, really watch for anything that could mean anything, just for speculation's sake on this podcast. Now, if you had to rate the title sequence, would you rate it? This is this is our scale this week. On the low end, we have cockroaches covering your body. <laughs> and on the high end, we have 1960s pie, pr- pie prices. I'm going to put it... And if you're going to go in the middle, you have to bring burger some, price, something right? from the show. I'm going to put it at hamburger price. Current day hamburger price. Current day hamburger <laughs> diner price. We'll, we'll talk about the prices in a, in a second here. They're pretty I awesome. I like the opening. I, I You know, it's cool. You, you know Franco's coming. It's exciting. It's... The JFK assassination uh, is just one of those pop culture things at this point that right. evokes a lot in people, even younger people like us that have no real ties to it other than pop culture. Yeah, I, I want to talk. Like, I want to talk about the assassination too. Um, I think I'd give it like a. I think it would be on the high end. It's pretty good. The music isn't like a showstopper, so maybe a little above average. I give it like a, like an old school barber shop rating. Okay. Like the yeah, ones, yeah. Ones where they gave you a shave and it was kind of cool and like they it was, judge you real hard and tell you you look like shit. And <laughs> it, was, it was like a kind of like a status thing yeah. to like actually be able to go to the barbershop. All right, getting back into our general talk now. Was the JFK assassination thing ever something you did like a deep dive into? Should I should I be ashamed <laughs> that I never cared? Like, I mean, I guess I care because a man died and everything, but I more so care in, like, the pop culture um, aspect where, like, if it's uh, the subject of pop culture, I'm interested. If not, I could care less. Like, I I guess that's bad. Well, I wouldn't say it's bad. I mean, I think, like, you can see from this show and any time people talk about this that are really into it maybe some people care too much there's mm-hmm. the sad thing is there's nothing we can do and we'll never know i mean there's all these theories and the movie jfk is really good oliver stone you know famous conspiracy theorist i guess if you want to call him that i think 
you know, what's a conspiracy now in 30 years just turns out to be something we all accept. Like, oh, yeah, the CIA did this, but that was, you know, whenever, the 70s, so it's cool now. Like, everything seems like a conspiracy at the time because anyone who's honest or or believes in something really strongly, society just says they're an idiot. It's kind of odd. Like, so a lot of things wouldn't have been accepted that now are, and you know. Is the general conspiracy, as the show has established it, and I assume as they've pulled from life is it that this russian guy i think his name's george or something mm-hmm. that and we can get into the that part portion of the plot eventually since we have like 80 minutes yeah. are we, we only are, have an hour we, left <laughs> are we on the clock officially we're on the clock okay. yes so george this ex-russian patriot he is working with the cia and the cia is working with lee harvey oswald recruited by george and then they together plot this killing is that what the general conspiracy is no i I, well i think the general conspiracy that most people would at least throw the mafia in there at some point you got to throw in definitely russians cubans like communism you got to throw in the cia like somebody pulled it off and i think the consensus is that there's no way some redneck like lee harvey oswald was a mastermind like if I would say just watch the movie JFK, that's probably the okay. least nutty. Really, the least nutty. <laughs> the least nutty. Trust me, there are books and books and college courses and people that like will go to their grave thinking that you know the Illuminati did it. That, like, that Obama did it. That Obama before he was born or whatever when he was five, like somehow figured it out. But like, well, he's he's eternal, so that's probably why he was able to pull it off. He's a most vampire. lizard people are. But. <laughs> It's just like um, it. It's easy to have a shadow of a doubt that this dude did it all by himself. Now, maybe that just makes people feel better. Like most conspiracies, it's like religion or anything else. You just want something that answers the questions for you. You don't really care if it makes sense. If you believe it, you can sleep at night. Like there are people still probably freaking out about this <coughs> religion. And, yeah, and um, so yeah, like. A lot of bullets were fired. They did come in different directions. I mean, you can't really deny the physics of the thing, I guess, is the point. That's as far as I would get in. Now, who knows? It's it's just one of – it's very emotional. Like, JFK, like, this show was made because people still care and they think, what would the world – like, when we watched Man in a High Castle, we're seeing a world where the Nazis won. This is sort of the opposite where the good guys, they're supposedly good guys, won. Yeah, and like, what actually, would the world be like? You know? I actually thought of the man in the high castle when we were watching this, simply for like the alternate timelines and the right. cre- and the creation of a new future, and kind of the the science fiction aspect, obviously, and also like the streaming aspect. Of these these shows have a lot of similarities, and of course, both are based from famous authors' stories. I mean, there's a ton of similarities there. Now, what did you think of the opening? Because when we open, we are kind of tricked a little bit into thinking that there's going to be like this um that we're doing some important flashback. I guess it's not a trick because it does come back around, but we are introduced to the story through a story from what's that guy's name? Harry. Harry, who is a adult GED um recipient and he is in James Franco's English class. And he's telling the story about how his father killed the rest of his family and left him alive. And you don't you don't totally know if it's fiction or if it's you know actual personal tale but it seems like it's it's pretty personal 
And so Franco gives him the A plus in front of the entire class. <laughs> he t- takes the paper, gives him an A plus. Everybody cheers, and Harry sits down. And uh, I, I was just I was wondering what you thought of the opening because I thought it was interesting and kind of kicked it off in a weird, unexpected way. Yeah, I agree. It, it definitely sets a mood, and it's it's I would call it Stephen King light. Um, Mm. Not too disastrous, but, you know, the way they shot it was a little bit scary. You know, there's some quick camera changes, a kid getting dragged out from underneath a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish he gave him an F in front of the entire yeah, class. this sucks, F. dude. No wonder you're a freaking janitor. <laughs> but I like that, you know, it kind of shows it's a good intro to Franco's character. You know, he roots for the underdog, which might be a Stephen King theme. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a Stephen King theme that there's always, like, a failed writer. Weirdo. Yeah, yeah, there's always a failed writer because that's his biggest fear in life, it seems. Right. That's that's his terror. So he, a couple things about this opening theme. One, Franco has absolutely horrible facial hair. No wonder your wife Pretty left bad. you, man. It's You look like a hobo. I don't know. Is, are, is, he supposed to be, is this supposed to be set in 2016? Because nobody has that facial hair anymore. I think it's supposed to be an artistic goatee that maybe Franco struggled mm. with growing. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely think there was some struggle there. So he probably just had that for six months, and that was the best he could do. From there, we are taken to a diner, which is going to be the, the set of a lot of this uh, this tension and conflict, where he is ordering twenty-five hamburgers somehow, which is explained later, uh, Sundays that are 99 cents, and he is eventually joined by Christy, his um, ex-wife, who is bringing yeah. him the divorce papers. So yeah. we're really dropped in on a time of transition for this guy. He is still maintaining his day job. But in the first, I'd say, like 10, 15 minutes of the show, we are introduced to him as a failing writer, as a failing husband, and as a high school, low-budget English teacher. And she mentions during handing him the divorce papers that... It was too bad that he missed his dad's funeral. Oh, yeah, and his dad recently died. <laughs> so it's like, this guy's life is clearly fucked. His dad did not, didn't just die. He died like on the way of Franco right. going to visit him, so he never got to say goodbye. Which is another theme. Which, uh, yeah. Isn't, Everett it, says goodbye. Is another theme, and again, is something he'll reach to in the past to attempt to correct in some way. Now, yeah, he's a writer, so he's another King Proxy. Even from a distance, I know that that's an overused thing from his writing perspective, which is fine. I mean, if you're going to write about something, write about yourself, you know. And, of course, at this time, we're also introduced to the diner owner, who I'm going to bring up IMDB just so I don't flub the name here. He has been in a lot of stuff. Well, the guy's name is Chris Cooper. I do know that. And yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. He's a great character actor. Sometimes he is a, amazing. Sometimes a lead actor in things like Breach, which is a movie with Ryan Phillippe, which is actually really good. He plays a guy named Al, Al Templeton. Now, I, had, I did have one question, and maybe you can clear this up for me. When he goes into the, into the past, mm-hmm. and the dynamics of the, of the time travel are really, he is dropped in the same exact moment every time he goes into the closet in the diner, which functions as the time machine. So he's dropped into that same exact moment. Now, when he's in the past, he's always asking about Al, Te- Al Templeton, right? which is that diner owner who was the previous time traveler. So really what happens is 
the guy who owns the diner is the one that has been going back in time and attempting to stop this assassination. He comes down with cancer, and so Franco has to kind of take up that mantle and attempt to do it himself. Um, so when he's in the past and using Al Templeton's name and like asking if it's on like lists and to like get in places and things like that, don't I mean that's before Templeton would have gotten there, right? So why is he using those that name? Yeah, I think it's either before he would have gotten there or he was hoping that maybe Al had laid out some groundwork and done a lot of this work for him and somebody might remember him because he hung out for a couple years, a mm-hmm. couple times, it seemed. Yeah, but it all resets when he comes back, so it yeah. doesn't matter. But maybe he just wanted to use a fake name, like a second fake name. To I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I wasn't really tracking with that either. Um, but I can't. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, it is odd. We'll, we'll do more of the time travel stuff. We're, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of our introduction. So we find out that Franco, whose full name is Jake Epping, like I said, and Al have had this relationship for, they state, 10 to 12 years. They dropped that in there not so organically hmm. to remind us that they've been together for 10 to 12 years. Now, I guess my my, my first question in this is that when Franco is signing the divorce papers with his wife, Templeton goes into the time machine and he comes back out. And no matter how long you stay in the time machine in the past, when you come back out, it's only been two minutes. So my first question to you is, does your body still suffer aging while you're in the past? Is that how he got cancer from being in the time machine and coming back out? Yeah, it must because he went in normal. Right came out sick as hell then that's when you know you get you start getting into the real story there so yeah i guess you're still subject to future aging and health issues so your body your body ages the exact same way it would if you even if you're spending time in the past so if you went if he went back for two years which i think is what he did in that two minute time period he comes back two years older even though he hasn't aged like year wise yeah I think okay. so. That seems to be it because he really gets sick fast. Al, yeah, Al yeah. gets sick very fast. Yeah, Al, Al gets sick very. I thought it was when, when it first happened. I thought it was like something he wasn't telling him. Like the time machine has some like weird physiological effect on you, where it can develop cancer or it can basically break down your body in some way, which we've kind of seen in like past science fiction movies where it kind of breaks you down. I thought it was that and that he was kind of keeping it a secret from him. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe that is too, because Stephen King wrote that book thinner and yeah. it wasn't it about like wishing to be skinny or trying to be something you're not. And then you get everything you wish for, but then it's bad. Yeah. He like, wishes, so maybe it's like that kind of shit. He wishes he's skinny through like an Indian burial ground or something. <laughs> Cause Jesus. it's always like a burial ground. Yeah, and There's always some weird cemetery shit. Like <laughs> he, he gets like deathly skinny. I think is what it yeah. is. Like he gets so skinny that he can, he can't even like operate. So maybe the price for time travel is death. Right. I I mean, that still might be part of it. Like you're still even if it's just aging and like naturally on your body when you're back there for two years, that's still like that's still a penalty. And let me just it's only two minutes in real life. Go ahead. Right. Let me just interject for listeners. A lot of times we haven't seen these pilots and they're not our favorite shows. Well, this is called a pilot study. We're studying it from a perspective of TV lovers. So we don't love everything. Sometimes we criticize it. (laughs) But 
you know, we're doing I, our best to piece things together from show. And this, neither one of us had seen. I think this is one of the only ones where we're both coming in like, we don't know what the hell's going on. So, Are you res- responding to some comments <laughs> no. that were left on our SoundCloud? <laughs> no, I would never respond to individual commenters. Mm. But um, just so, in general, keep in mind, you know, we're just studying pilots. Yeah, we haven't seen these before. So if right. we don't like your favorite show as much as you like it, Sorry. We, we also <laughs> haven't seen nine seasons of that show. Right. We the emotionality only, is not here for us. We, only, we are learned men. Right. We only have one episode to judge it. And I think I think we're going to judge this one pretty positively. Yeah, I like it a lot. So anyway, to, yeah, to jump back in, I, I, I did wonder about how he... And then I'm starting to think, oh, great, this is some weird Stephen King chemical in the air shit where this guy's going to get sick if Franco doesn't help him and blah, blah, blah. But luckily it did not go that way. So did you not know it was the JFK thing at all when you first jumped into it? Because I know Hulu, well, the Hulu date was gives it away. pushing it. Well, <laughs> if you yeah, get yeah, that yeah. date, you pretty much... I mean, there's not a lot of other shit happened on... You don't know <laughs> that. <laughs> but um, un- unfortunately for anything else that did happen, or if you were born that day, nobody cares because JFK was shot. So, <laughs> like, that's the famous dumb baby boomer bullshit. Like, I remember where I was. It's like, it's, no, you it's don't. Basically, <laughs> it's basically our 9-11. Yeah, I don't remember where I was. On, I'm probably sleeping. I mean, it was nine in the morning. Yeah, I, I was at school. Unfortunately, I was in eighth grade, so that's the only reason I remember. Now they they get dropped on October twenty first, nineteen sixty. That's the date they get dropped at. Again, at the same moment. So every time they go into the time machine, they get dropped at the exact same moment. And when they come back out, that resets. So if they go back in, the work they've done. So in other words, they would have to stay there for three years to successfully um, prove to themselves that they that they solved the issue. Or I but guess you could never come back then, right? I, no, I think you could come back after after if you stopped the assassination. Ah, uh, the deed is done. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can't though. So if say he does the deed and say he saves JFK, what's to say that because of that saving? It looks like Al was in Vietnam, first of all. Yes. So a big reason why he wants to stop the assassination is because I'm sure he lost friends over in Vietnam, and he wants to prevent that war. Which, who knows if JFK would have prevented that war? That's obviously something we'll never know. But, okay, so say he does do the deed, and he saves it. What's to say that Al, that diner, isn't open anymore there? Right. Or it gets yeah. bulldozed in that time because something has changed. He didn't go off to war. He didn't come back and own that diner for 35 years. So what See, if what if that diner is bulldozed as a result? I got the sense that the reason why Al never told anybody about the time portal is because he had to wait until he found somebody who has no reason at all to be in the present and come back. That way it stays awesome. It's almost like Franco is like Christ and he's sacrificing <laughs> himself. Because, like, the guy's dad is dead, his wife left him, his job sucks. What the hell does he have to be in 2016 for? He could go back to 60, be a hero, get remembered forever. Like, look at this, you know, Jake Amberson. Cool fake name. Like, it's Anderson with an M. (laughs) (laughs) So Jake Amberson gets to live. You know, he doesn't have to live this shitty failed writer English teacher life. He gets to die whenever, 19, you know, of old age. Maybe he gets to be Al's buddy at some point. But, like, Al shit gets to stay the same, but minus Vietnam, minus cancer. So this that's what I thought, like, 
I could only tell you I had to wait until I found, like, the right dude that just doesn't want to come back so all the shit stays done. And also, if he does the deed, which I'm saying a million times in this episode, and I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't regret it at all. And does that mean that Al doesn't have cancer anymore because he doesn't, he wouldn't have to go back himself? I think so. Huh. So, I mean, obviously the butterfly effect is in full effect here and that right. everything he's going to do is going to change the, the present in some way. Now, yeah. do, you, do you think in the show that he meets Al, the younger Al, at some point? Because he's already met somebody he works at the school with, who's, yeah. a, who's a major hottie, by the way. And also he meets, um, oh, what's that guy's name again that tells the story at the beginning? Harry. He Harry. meets his family, yeah. He meets, I think he, he will Harry's meet Al. Family. Yeah. You, you think he will? Okay. All right. Now, it would be crazy if he met, like, the older version of Al who has come back to do the same thing, but I don't really know how that would work. I don't know the dynamics of that. Yeah, like, if they, if they somehow teamed up to kind of do this, I, I guess it would reset so Al wouldn't be around anymore. And also the reason why Franco goes in and commits to it in the first place is because him and Al have this fight. Al dies. Does he die? Well, it doesn't. He checks his pulse, but he doesn't say goodbye. That's what I was saying. But like, he just kind of like, all right, dude. That's a good question. Does is he dead? <laughs> He's dead in the future, but is he dead? Like, if you go back. That's what I think, anyway. Like you said, I we I don't know. We got to watch. You know? I don't know if he's dead in the in the in like the present or the future because yeah, he checks his pulse, but I, he doesn't react like Al. He has no pulse. Like he doesn't like shed any tears or get really sad. He just goes, "All right, I'll do it," and he drives over. Is uh, I think that's why he did it, though. Like because this he's man dead. died. My buddy's dead. Be over this JFK shit. I gotta finish his quest. And if he fails, he can come back and go over there and just call the coroner like he normally would. Right. Or the because police. It's only been two minutes. I, I guess you don't dial right to the coroner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's come, a couple steps. Come pick up but, my yeah. dead friend. <laughs> yeah. I I guess I didn't think he was dead. That's huh. Maybe I just misinterpreted. He did look pretty white, and he did look pretty dead. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the way I viewed it. Hmm. So he got cancer in that two-minute span, and then he died that night. Of course, after insane. an argument, it killed him. Yeah, like, same way Joe Paterno died. Oh, wait, no, that was a little different. <laughs> okay, anyway. so if you, I, I had a good question for you. Okay. If you could, if you had this time machine, but you could set it to go back to wherever you wanted to, and you mm -hmm. could either change history, not change history, just hang out. If you could be a man displaced, where would you want to be displaced to? It can't. It has to be in the past. It can't be in the future. The age-old pothead question. <laughs> um, you know, that's just one of those things you think about all these times. And I even made a note here. I I wrote fuck the past. I'm glad I live in the future. Like, you know. I, I kind of like the future. I like now. Like in this episode, they're showing phones all the time. He accidentally brings his iPhone back to the 60s and chucks it in a river. Like, look how dumb those idiots were. And they all thought like, oh, wow, everything's so abundant and cheap. It'll be like this forever. Let's waste every asset we have as a nation. Like, I would probably go back not – I wouldn't want to be in America. I mean, if I'm traveling, I'm going to say I'm going to go to like – some tropical place before whiteys took it over and ruined it. I would be like the nice white man. I wouldn't be the white devil. I would come on a ship, but I'd be cool. I'd be like, let's hang out. Teach me your stuff. Like, 
but I would also want to so be able you, to drive and fly. Like you would there's be not... like you'd be like cool Columbus. Yes, I would be the not dick version of Christopher Columbus. Like I wouldn't give people blankets with SARS on them and shit. Like I don't, I don't know if I would even want to go. Like a time machine is wasted on me. I guess I would want to do something like this. I would want to go back and attempt to correct something. Maybe I'd want to go back and like tell my mom to buy Apple stock and shit. So we want to be broke. <laughs> Like, I don't know that I want to go back that far, though, because shit really, like, the future is good. For all of our problems, when has society or life for the average human been better? The average American white male human, I guess I should say, has always been pretty good. But, like, for me, my circumstances, like, shit has been getting better as I've gotten older, not worse. So I don't have this, like, nostalgia trip to go back to the 60s and like see hendrix at woodstock or any bullshit like that like we have youtube you know <laughs> like i don't yeah, i don't need true. to be there for everything i guess how about you though it's a good question it's fun to think about i don't know i don't, I think i'm kind of along the same lines as you as like as to say i went back to like Mad Men era right right and you're you're in this era where everybody's wearing suits and they're super cool well then you're just going back and hanging out with a bunch of racists Right, you're only, like, for <laughs> us, we can go, there's never going to be a time it's bad, because we're white dudes. We can go back to the fucking 1400s in England, and we're still going to be, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I would right. be a plebe or whatever in a field, because I'm poor, but... Or you're going back to, like, a time period, like, say I wanted to go back to, like, ancient Rome. Who's to say somebody's not going to, like, fucking stab me, and right. I'm dead, and I can never come back to the future. Yeah, you're just, wow, I got to see Rome, <laughs> Ugh, I'm dead in four minutes, like, because they think I'm some demon or who's, something. Who's to say I don't spill, like, a glass of wine on somebody's tunic, and they, like, challenge me to a death duel. Right, and, and that's I, I have Caesar, to, you just fucked up. <laughs> I, I have to become, like, a sword fighter in, like, two right. days, and I'm going to die. That's so, another thing. We I've, have all I've, these I've fantasies. Seen, I've seen enough Game of Thrones that I don't want to go back to that time period. Right. We have these fantasies like we're going to go back and I'm still going to be 2016 John Grimes cool guy talking about Kanye and shit and people are just going to accept me. They're going to be like, get the fuck out of here, you satanic weirdo. <laughs> like, you're dead in seconds. I don't know how to use a sword. I don't know how to kill food. Uh, you know, would it I, even be that great? I think I would do like if I had to, I think I would do either like the 60s and do like the Mad Men style or I would do the 20s simply because I think the like the dress for everybody was cool and um you know the the women were pretty good looking back then not a lot of people were fat is a common theme in the past oh, i didn't think about that which not, is not better i people. guess for men and women but um if you were a fat man it was kind of okay that just meant you had the money to eat but those are pretty i feel like i had pretty obvious answers there and I if you want to do that stuff i would obviously bring my wallet so that i was way ahead of the game you have to gamble. I mean, I'd be gambling a shitload regardless <laughs> because that's the way – that's the genius time travel if you've seen any of the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, like, so, so – I would be Biff basically. <laughs> so one of the big things in this is that to kind of make money in the past and to keep his diner prices really low, um, Al both would gamble to make money, which Franco totally botches, and yeah. he would um, buy meat from the butcher like in the past – and then take it take it to the future so that people at her at his restaurant were eating meat from the 1960s, but he could keep his prices low because the price of like the stock was so low. Right. So he kind of like was playing, which it would really make for a weird um, like tax audit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How like, are you surviving? Where Where are you buying this beef? 
Oh, well, that's a kind of a long story. You might want to walk into the closet. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Like, I don't have receipts per se, but, uh, I mean, the guy knows me, I think, by now. So, so he, yeah, that's how he kept his prices so low. Again, he also was doing 99-cent Sundays, and I assume he wasn't bringing milk back. But there is a milkman, so maybe he was. Maybe. Maybe that's why they kept showing that specific part. It's possible. So Franco was eating um, like 50, 60-year-old meat, <laughs> um, which is nice for his health. And so Al was betting on sporting events to make money. So Franco, when he got there, needed some cash because he couldn't just, like, why not just empty your bank account and have and be rich in that time? Like, he doesn't have two grand in his bank account that he can bring to the future. Well, as you know, past, teachers are right. underpaid, so he probably doesn't have two grand. A little sneaky message in there. I like it. <laughs> and so he goes to a local bar, a local haunt, where you can place a bet, and he places this crazy specific bet on a six-round knockout for this boxer. And, of course, he gets 35, 36 to 1 or 35 to 1 odds. He wins, and he gets $3,600, and the people that he won it from are, of course, not happy. So he, uh, and I'm pretty sure Al, like, spends a lot of time in, like, that same town because they're dropped in the same spot as the diner would be. But, you know, in in a day's time, Franco has to go to Dallas because these guys are chasing him and he has to escape. Yeah, and the the club was men only. I noticed that sign on the door, like, where he placed the bet. Right. And those people, just like about everyone he meets, say, you're not from around here, are you? Because it's like that, again, sets up like small town. Um, they can tell he's like out of place. How, this... how, how could he have placed the bet without getting the guys angry at him? Was it just like a foregone conclusion that they were going to try to rob him afterwards? Like, where's the loyalty and honor in betting money? Yeah, I think when because it was so much, you have, like he bets $100. In 1960, which is, I mean, 100 bucks to me is a lot right now for one bet. Right. Especially such a specific weird one, like an underdog bot. Again, the underdog wins. Underdog boxing match. Specific round. Like that, you know, Vegas would probably give you 500 to one odds on something that specific. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But yeah, maybe it was just was like just, a bookie. Maybe he was just like too psyched about it. Yeah, he was so happy, like he was tricking them or something. Yeah, so they kind of knew something was up. Um, I guess I I had another question. Do you think that Franco accepted the time machine and like the reality too quickly in the present? Because he's like, what the fuck was that? And then like two seconds later, he's fully in on the fact that this Chris, the Chris Cooper character has been attempting to stop this assassination. Is it that? Or do you think if we spent 40 minutes on just convincing Franco, it'd be too much? Do you think it's just kind of like a pilot? We have to skip over like the doubt. We just have to go right into it. I think that's more the case because there are going to be times. And as I'm watching this, I'm waiting for him to go back and start over and be like, fuck it, reset. I fucked up. Like, like at what I, point I, is I he going to do that as well? Yeah. At what point is he going to put up with so much bullshit and make so many mistakes in the past that he needs that little like regrouping, go back to the present? But I guess. Again, going back to if Al's dead or not, if he goes back, he might have to deal with that and get sidetracked. And then who knows, like, if people find the tunnel and shit. Like, there's so for the pilot's sake and just to kind of establish, all right, here's the show, here's what's up. I think he had to sort of, you know, he's skeptical, but not for half an hour. Right, right. Now, um, 
kind of moving on here. Like you said, he goes in there, makes a bunch of mistakes. He, he's not very clever, and I think that helps with his everyman type of quality because we're supposed to take the leap in this show that James Franco, like kind of male model type of guy, is an everyman because he has a goatee. <laughs> right, and, and a shitty job like everyone else. Right, and once he gets rid of that goatee and starts dressing fancy, he is back to male model levels. So I guess we're... It, we're supposed to accept that, and I think the way they do that is by making him a terrible spy and a really horrible screw-up. And he just wouldn't really have any... Even if it was the real James Franco, he wouldn't know what to do. Like, he's just a dude. So I think, like, not only did he accept it very quickly, when he's in the 60s, I mean, wouldn't he stick out a little more? People kind of gave him some weird looks because he's wearing jeans and no hat. <laughs> right. But, I mean, the dude has an iPhone, like... I, I don't know. It, but again, for the sake of the pilot. He fits in very well, but again, yeah, a little again too well, but he's yeah. out, he's out, he's from out of town. Right. He's just from out of town, <laughs> and that expl- that's a good enough ex- explanation, you know? As long as uh, you're just a handsome whitey, you can pretty much do whatever at any time with a time machine, just like what we said. It's, you, always, it's never going to be that bad for a James Franco at any no, moment no. in history. Do you think that it, this show would have been really interesting with an African-American protagonist? I think it's impossible to do. It'd be interesting. How would you navigate like just the scene, like um, flash forwarding to when he sees JFK speak? Well, you're not getting up those steps on some bogus name. You're not even getting in the door, maybe, or you're gonna have to sit in a weird section. Yeah, but that that adds like a layer of intrigue, yeah, and the, he has to be a little more crafty. Like with Franco, he's again. He doesn't look like us, so he can get into events like that. And I think it's it's kind of a little bit of a cheat. I think there's a couple little cheats in this. There's Franco being just, like, perfectly suited to be a 60s guy. And there's also, I think it's a little bit of a cheat to, to take literally everything away from his life in the present so that he has nothing to pine over or yeah. nothing that draws him back into the present. Like, if he had, like, a kid... You know, if he had a right, kid, if he had a, right. kid, a kid with this ex-wife, and he had a, he had the kid's picture, you know, something like that, and that the, the kid isn't growing, but he's, but Franco's still missing him, you know. So we lose the wife, we lose Al, we lose the dad. His job is a dead end. He's not going to miss anything at his job, like really. And actually, I'm pretty sure the show, as the show continues, no spoilers, but it was in a review that I read that he becomes an English teacher. So, oh, okay. so he's literally losing nothing. There's, there's no conflict set up as to him wanting to go back to his regular life, and I think yeah. I think that's a little bit of a cheat. All the conflict is front loaded in the first half hour of the pilot. It's like, just where gonna, what's yeah. like what's tearing at him? You know, there's nothing really that's tearing at him besides him being terrible at justice. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> he doesn't even really believe in this cause, does he? Not fully. It seems that he believes in it more and more. Like once he's back there, he gets to Dallas. You can kind of see him, you know, when like that awesome speech that Chris Cooper's character gave about the past doesn't want to be changed and it's Mm going to push back at you. Like you do start to see those clues, which I think then he invests more. He goes back to his house, you know, keeps looking at the files. He, He seems like he's buying in more as he like meets that George character, follows him. Uh, ends up in the restaurant, hears him talking about Oswald. So, I, yeah, I think, again, to speed things up and get us as an audience to take these leaps, that Franco's character takes them 
you know, by the end of the episode, he's like kind of giving up, but he still wants to do something good. While he's like, "Well, I'm in the past anyway. I might as well try." Like, might as well, I owe save, it to, might as well save Harry's family. Right. I owe it to whoever to do something. It seems like Harry is his thing in the present. Like that's the guy he cares about most. You know, yeah. he wants he wants the work lady to be nice, and um, the girl he meets at the diner in the '60s grows up to be this bitch that works with him at the school. Um, and he wishes she was like less of one, but yeah, it seems like his only real, you know, reason to give a shit about the future is Harry, you know, this mm-hmm. genius writer in his English night class or whatever. So I, I would, I would throw out, since I'm kind of throwing out things I didn't like about the pilot right now, I would also throw out the direction. I mean, the director that handled it is a good guy. It's a guy that directed like the last King of Scotland and this recent movie called Black Sea that got some good reviews with Jude Law in it. I, I can't remember. He directed one other one that's pretty good. Let me see if I can find it real quick. His name's Kevin McDonald, by the way. And Who he- also did an episode of WTF by accident. We can talk about that. Oh, hmm, that's interesting. And he also, he also did something called State of Play, which is a Russell Crowe, uh, Ben Affleck. It's a good journalism movie. And I guess the direction felt like more workman-like than anything. Like Just like a get-it-done style thing which is weird for like a jj abrams like i don't know i mean obviously abrams was busy with a little thing called star wars <laughs> but what what made <laughs> but what made his involvement in lost so epic is that he did that pilot and that pilot remains like a hall of famer in terms of pilots and the fact that he didn't take this on and like make it this big event it just adds like it doesn't really the direction doesn't add anything to it i guess there's no like I want a little more visual flair. I want the director to show off a little bit. This is just like cut, cut, medium yeah. shot, long shot. <laughs> there were some moments I noticed, uh, especially in the driving scenes, that were a little Hitchcockian. You know, he's moving, like background becomes a little more of a factor in a character. Like you're noticing the grassy knoll. You're, they're kind of like a stat. The car doesn't appear to be moving, but the background is, you know, very like 60s-esque, I guess. Yeah, like the backgrounds they'd um, use for like driving scenes. But yeah, you're right. They're, for J.J. Abrams' joint. But again, he producer can mean a lot of things. It could just mean J.J. likes Franco and put up a shitload of this money. His his name uh, is on it. and ba- Right. And, his name's on it, but in what, you right. know. The bad robot name is on it. That's about it. <laughs> So. But yeah, you're right about that. It, there was nothing special. Um, but the era, like, I think they made it feel pretty true to the time when he would go back in time. And then, like, in modern times, you know, you have pop music, the the awesome pop band Spoon that everyone loves. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was a jam. And then, and then that song, I love it. I forget who sings that pop song, but that was, was like. I'm kind of on the IMDb, like, technical specs. And the music was arranged, or maybe the score was by Alex Heffis. And he is also involved in, like, The Last King of Scotland. So there's that Kevin McDonald connection. Um, he did something called Mandela Long Walk to Freedom, which I believe was the Morgan Freeman joint. I'm fairly certain it was the... Oh, no, it was the uh, Idris Elba one. Mm. So he's involved with the music. And I do want to highlight the writer before we before we forget. It was developed for television by and the teleplay was all by Bridget Carpenter. So Bridget Carpenter is kind of like the big writing factor in this, which I think is good to note. She's uh, She was heavily involved in Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, so she comes from that tree, the Jason Caddams tree. 
I believe that's his name. And uh, so, yeah, she's a very talented one, and I wanted to make sure we hit on that uh, before we moved on and totally forgot about her, and I, w- I would have felt really bad. Cool. So, all right, so um, well, how much time do we got left? We got about... Well, minutes. we're 51 minutes right now, so well, let's let's take a little break um, with the the pilot itself, and let's do some Franco rolls. Let's do it because for this episode, we have compiled our top five James Franco rolls, and we kind of wanted to go through. Obviously, he's the lead of this show, but he's someone that's been in our um, pop culture life for as long as I can remember, I guess. From the, same from the Freaks and Geeks day, so. I mostly I went all movies. I, I we could toss freaks and geeks in there. I, I'm not opposed to that, but I went movies just for just for reference. So I went you, all movies except for that. So okay, so you did have freaks and geeks in there. So mm-hmm. what are let's go one at a time and just toss out your first one, and then we can discuss if there's any discussion to be had. All right. Well, my number five was James Franco as Scott Smith in the movie Milk. Oh, okay. All right. That's a that's a. A movie that I think is overshadowed by everybody hating Sean Penn now. Yeah, which is unfortunate <laughs> because it was a really good movie. It was a really good movie, and I also, I didn't number him, but since I share that role, I will also go with that milk role of Scott Smith. And cool. again, he's, I think he's like one of the first people we meet other than other than Penn in that movie. Yeah, he's the, he's uh, Penn's boyfriend. Oscar right? Oscar nomination, I think, for that false no 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 not no. for not for uh franco really well yeah sean penn won i, I could have swore he got an oscar nomination but that's interesting so he got maybe he was a snub that year that was a snub in my mind i felt like i had to give franco props for this role if nothing else because obviously people are very homophobic and Franco could have probably been doing some bullshit rom-com with Kate Hudson that year, but he's like, nah, I'm going to grow a stash. I'm going to be this gay dude. (laughs) You know. Okay, so he's been nominated for one Oscar. Yes, which is my number four pick. Okay, so I won't say that, but he's he's been nominated for three Golden Globes, and I think two of those three will be in our our, our list. So I'll uh, I'll go number four. Let's say I'm going to go with uh, This Is The End. Oh, okay. One I left off the list, which you would not suspect, I bet, of Grimes. He plays himself. <laughs> and I actually think his his role could have been a little... Like, he doesn't get the funniest parts of that movie. And he's overacting just a little bit. But maybe that's kind of like the parody in, in him and parodying himself. So I think that's part of it. I, I was a little let down, but like the concept of him playing himself is so good that I, I just I couldn't leave it off because like the uh, the kind of the love affair with Seth Rogen, which continues <laughs> in, uh, which continues in that Christmas movie the night before, and uh, yeah, so I liked this is the end a lot, and I think he's a key part of that. I loved it too, but I felt like I, I made another pick later on my list and I had to narrow it down with those two because I didn't want to be just a total stoner stereotype <laughs> guy. Yeah. But I love that movie, of course. I mean, I love it, everybody in it, and he had a great role in it. Okay, so what's your number four? My number four is the Oscar-nominated performance of Aaron Ralston in 127 Hours. Okay. Now, uh, are you somebody that can watch that the scene? I cannot watch the scene. Okay, probably a good thing. 
Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it, yeah, so that's the movie about the hiker who got stuck for 127 hours in a shitty cave and had to chop his own arm off to live, and he did it, and then he went on Oprah, and now he's a regular guy with a movie starring James Franco about his life. The guy that directed that would have been a good director for this pilot if they could have got him, Danny Boyle. He would have added some visual flair, that's for sure. All right, let's, uh, okay, my number three. Uh, I'm going to say Spider-Man 2. Okay, yeah, I'm, that I'm, was my I'm on gonna, my list as well. I'm going to pick two in particular because it's the best of the Raimi movies, and I think he has the uh, he has the biggest arc throughout number two. Number, th- yeah, uh, number three, he has some really funny, charming scenes. But the movie's so bad, and like <laughs> the plot is so all over the place that I, you just can't really award him for that terrible movie. But number two, he has a really good arc in it, and I think that he plays like kind of the the rich snobby person with a heart in a really um, a really fun way. He's he's just a fun part of that movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, my number three was Franco as Saul Silver, the drug dealer in Pineapple <laughs> Express. Okay. Only because, I mean, I kind of, that's, it's hard to forget that you're watching James Franco, for me anyway. Like, he's such a handsome asshole. He's just so cool. (laughs) He's like the modern day, you know, James Dean. Um, Even played James Dean, I think, on a TV movie or something. But yeah, Pineapple Express, it's the love affair with Seth Rogen. It's sort of their swan song, big, awesome, epic movie. Like somebody gave Seth Rogen millions and millions of dollars to make an action pothead movie, which was like his dream in life, it seems. And the movie's great. I mean, I yes, of course, I like weed, so I'm going to like the movie. But I've watched it many times without any performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> and it's like a hilarious buddy comedy. Like, he has a heart in it. He just cares about his grandma, and he wants to be like, you know. It, I just thought it was, a, for one of those bro movies, I thought it was among the better ones. I, I think I count it as among one of the better I love the scene where he's hanging out with Seth Rogen. And somebody else knocks at the door, which I think is the dude from Brooklyn Nine Nine. I'm not positive. I think it's Joe Latruglio, but I'm not yes, positive. Yeah, and he wants to like go in and hang out and shit. Yeah, yeah, he wants to hang out, and he also wants like some kind of pill. What is the pill he wants? Do you have? Uh, it's like uh, Adderall or it's some kind I of like weird, some weird pill. Yeah, weird request. And Franco like has to put on like his gangster like persona <laughs> yeah just, which is so weird i just yeah. i love it so much it's one of my favorite the scenes uh, in like his apartment are that. awesome in that movie yeah he's he's great in that movie so i would say number two i'm gonna go with the same one since it's on my list as well that scene the fight scenes with danny mcbride really everything about that movie is great i remember he hosted he, he hosted snl right after that and they did a fun saul sketch where he was like a james bond type figure and uh, I'll always I'll always remember that sketch just because of the big connection I made to that movie and how I saw it in the theaters. And it's, it was a really good theater movie because it has a ton of, like, huge crowd laughs. Like, yeah, a lot yeah. of, like, physical comedy. Um, and really one of the, one of the better physical comedy movies of, like, the last, of, like, the last five years or so. In that, I guess we don't really emphasize physical comedy. It's more like the Judd Apatow throw-out lines. Until you find something like truly disgusting. But- I also like another minor detail in Pineapple Express that a lot of modern movies don't deal with is that most problems in life at this point can be solved with a cell phone. <laughs> and like his phone dies. You know, that's right. part of the shit. Like right. most people just gloss over that. But 
they address like they ground it in some reality, at least with little details like that. So and uh, Gary Cole is great. Gary Cole, he's AKA amazing. Lumberg. <laughs> now, what's your number one? This is this the freaks and geeks spot? Well, my number two was Spider Man. I guess we just had those switched. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, my number one man, Daniel Desario, Freaks and Geeks, only because how many actors can you think of that started on television? Totally killed it, knocked the character out of the park, stayed famous, and actually got better as actors. But started out pretty good. Like in that role, he he plays that role. Like he seems like that kid. You know, you meet James Franco. That's, I mean, I still remember that character despite his IMDb, which has like fifty acting entries. Um, I think he killed it out of the gate, and I think that's why we put up with him being a weirdo. Almost in like a Kanye way. Like, yeah, James Franco, this week he's a Harvard professor. Then he's an artist. Then he's on General Hospital. And then he's like, he's all over the place in life. But we kind of know that this dude's an artist. Like, not all actors are artists. Some people are just hot and lucky. <laughs> but he's, this guy, like, cares about acting and does a good job. He's more so like Kanye than I think any of us want to admit. In that he has all these other artistic projects. And we know of them. And yet we don't really know too much about them. Right. Like, Kanye, okay Kanye, has, Kanye has a fashion line, and I saw the live stream for his new album, but I still couldn't tell you like what a Kanye fashion piece looks like. Right. Or where they sell it. Exactly. Or what place it has in the fashion world. <laughs> same, thing, same thing with Franco. He has all these art exhibits and like all these other things he's done and like books he's written, but I couldn't really tell you like a book he's written. Besides, like maybe Palo Alto, because and I think that's actually just a short story, because it was a movie. So it's weird that like they have all these extra art projects, but really anybody outside of like the Bohemian art world doesn't really know what they are or what they're about. And these guys will never be as accepted as they want to be in what made them famous. Kanye will never be better at anything than he is at making a beat. Right. Never. His right. clothes will never be Louis Vuitton. Franco's art will never be Picasso, you know what I mean? But we accept that they do all this bullshit because they're just guys that they need an outlet, but they, they are good at the thing. They stay good at the thing that made us care, and you know another, what I mean? Another similarity is I think that they both do like the jobs they're good at to pay for the jobs that they're not yes, good at. Yes, yes. <laughs> like Kanye makes beats because he wants to do fashion. Right. Franco does movies, does like a Spider-Man movie because he wants to have an art exhibit and he wants to be able to pay for the materials. So it's just funny that the stuff that they're best at, they're, they're, they recoil from. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, they, they yeah. keep doing it, so lucky for us, I guess. But yeah. but yeah, that was my number one. What was yours? I can't believe you didn't bring this up in your top five, man. This is my number one Franco performance. It's Spring Breakers, man. Yeah, again. Did I you had, not I, like Spring Breakers? I liked it a lot, but I don't know. I just He's I have like, my own issues with Harmony Corinne. This is going to sound oh, okay. really stupid, but a lot of times interviews make me love somebody I didn't like, and sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes I hear is, their uh -oh. process. Is this a Marin thing? Well, it's I heard him on <laughs> Marin, but it had nothing. Like I think he said the same shit in a lot of interviews. I think he gave stock answers, but he just... I mean, if you're going to make a movie about Riff Raff, don't be a bitch about it. Like, <laughs> you stole a dude's persona, and Franco, like, I don't know. And plus, I wanted to narrow it down between that, Pineapple Express, 
And uh, uh, what was the one we just – year number five, I think. Uh, this is the end. Yeah, I wanted to pick from that, like, I guess I can lump them all in and chose Pineapple Express. But, yeah, I, I'm not going to say it was a bad movie or that Harmony Corinne isn't a great filmmaker. He just, I, I don't know, man. I can't, if I know too much about somebody and I dislike their shit, it takes me a while to, like, come around to their art, so. I'm fully, uh, I'm on a couple teams here. I'm fully on Team Spring Breakers. I think it's, okay. like, a weird modern not like a modern classic but it's like a movie that like they'll be showing in like alt cinema classrooms for like the next 20 years like with just, all of his movies is yeah. just take a course on harmony corinne but this, it was like his first foray into like actual pop culture and i think that i guess just like the theater experience was so unique to me seeing a movie like that in like an eerie movie theater that i was like God, right, that's this, true this, this is fucked up and I'm fully on team, like, Vanessa Hudgens. I think she's great. So, like, her in that movie and, like, that collection of, like, Disney princess-style casting. Yeah, talk about a big leap for them. Everything I needed in life at that point. And, of course, Franco's, like, on a whole other world in that movie. And he's, like, so just weird. And I don't know. I just it's a, it's a role that's really stuck with me. And, like, I'll go back on YouTube and just watch, like, clips from that movie. <laughs> Well, you know a lot more about movies than I do, and you see a lot more movies than I do. So you have an, an a whole like, you know, you have a whole frame of reference that I don't possess for movies. So a lot of times, like, I can admit I don't know why shit is good. People are like, "This movie's great." I'm like, "Okay, awesome. You you're smart. I trust you." But I don't I don't really like know why. You know what I mean? I, I so. don't really think that Spring Breakers is like this deep thing to me it's just maybe i'm trying to make it deep I th- maybe it's like the ultimate guilty pleasure i have maybe of like but the last five years i'm not gonna shit on it but i guess for the the purposes of this i did not include it all right well let's get back into 11 63 i think we have a, probably just a few more things to really talk about i will say that we were talking about the direction before and how it's very workmanlike but there is like there was one scene where i was like this was what it should have been like the whole time. And it's the scenes where the past, you know, begins to interfere mm-hmm. with like the meddling of Franco. We have the, um, him calling on the phone because he is trying to call his dad and that's fucking up the present. So can't do that shit. Can't do that shit. So a car runs into it. It looks a little CGI, but for the most part, it looks pretty real. I don't know. There was like a moment where I'm like, uh, it's kind of it was the car crashing through it had like this moment of computer generation yeah i wasn't super into but it like the force and like the speed with which the car came in made for a really exciting set piece and the second would be the cockroach scene yeah that was definitely trippy yeah that was cool that was but really yeah cool. i love like that and i loved again i love the speech um that al gave him about the past that was like wow that's that's some smart shit <laughs> i'm gonna remember that but yeah, i liked seeing that too that was very cool um and you had to know that things weren't gonna go perfectly i i like that al kind of set those scenes up too by saying this is as far as i can get you like right i can get you past and, and, you know, Franco looking for to, to use Al's name and what he had done in the past as well. It's like you, you kind of started to get the sense that he's going to be on his own a lot more. Right, because the Al name never works. Um, right. Do you, can he read lips? Is that because there's a scene in this Mexican restaurant where 
or a Spanish restaurant. I hate to stereotype it or something, but uh, I think they said Tex-Mex, so you're Tex-Mex. okay. Mex okay. is short for Mexican. I'm okay. Yeah. So he goes to this restaurant to follow George, who is again like this Russian expatriate who is being. The order that I had it in is he's being recruited by the CIA. And he's then going to be tasked with recruiting Oswald to kill JFK. That was yep. like the general order they set up. Yep. So he's they're in the restaurant, and Franco's kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. Now, can he read lips, or can he just is he good at hearing, or like what is going on there? Yeah, that that might have been a cheat, like we talked about before, because he's in this loud ass restaurant with a band, and he's like nervous. He's had all this shit happen, and this was one of the parts where Al kind of helped him until he couldn't. Uh, I, I don't think he could read lips. I think he was so focused, excuse me, on trying to hear anything that they were talking about, that George was talking about with the CIA, that as luck would have it, he could make out three words clearly, and they were Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. And that scene, I guess I did want to bring that up to you because then Franco freaks out. You know, he sits there for a while with this info. He's like, all right, I know what's happening. Then he sees people fucking. Like who was that upstairs in this restaurant? I think I think that that was uh, that was George's wife. I'm pretty sure. With not with George though. Not with George. I think with one of like the CIA dude. Right. So she sees Franco seeing her get pounded by the CIA man, or you know somebody other than George. So now she's gonna remember Franco in the future. In the in the. He's he's done a terrible job. He does a shitty job, I guess. <laughs> my point, but I was he, he's getting on. on he's yeah. getting on every radar he shouldn't get right. on. Which was one of the key things Al warned him. You know, he says, "Blend in, buy a shitty car." So Franco buys a black and gold convertible. Right. And he's like, "Don't talk to anybody." So he talks to like this hot married lady at the park, and then he's like seeing all this shit, and you know, so that was kind of weird. But um. Hey, yeah, I, I would have talked. I would have that. talked to that lady in the park too. Though. Of course, me too. But <laughs> I'm not Franco. So, how is he going to break up that marriage? That's the question. Well, I guess we'll have to watch the rest. But, um, but yeah, that was just one thing. Then there's also like the his house burning down. I think was also the past pushing back. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So the like the kind of the. I don't know what would you consider that housing situation. Just like a halfway house, kinda. Ki- yeah, like kinda. a cheap ass boarding house for yeah, a boarding house. Dudes. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. So he goes there, and of course, his room only catches on fire, burns all the documents that he brought from Al. Which, if you go back, those are still burned. Like the present doesn't reset. So he burned all Al's work <laughs> in one scene. It's just gone. Yeah, and. um or at least all the notes that he had. I'm sure he. I'm sure he made copies, or at least I hope. And he and the kid that was like living there with him, and who he was, he was kind of talking to about the war and all that stuff. He gets injured. So I don't really know. Like, I thought that maybe that kid was somebody he knew from the from the present. Yes, me I, too. I, I didn't really like fully get what was going on in that scenario, but it's interesting. I thought it seems like it has to mean something, but again, that's what I'm always looking for and assigning all these meanings to shit and a lot of times it turned out to be wrong but yeah the kid he's like into the military he loves it can't wait to join uh, maybe that's just kind of going back to the Viet stopping Vietnam and then you're like well you can't protect everybody from everything the kid gets hurt anyway so who knows what it means but it was an interesting scene to just have we have to know what everything means right we have In to figure episode. this out <laughs> but yeah like um 
What would you? I felt uh, bad that his gambling book burnt. Like that's his money. <laughs> oh yeah, his fucking gambling book. That's not good. But I mean, if you were just if you just thought about it, you could probably remember who won this NBA Finals right. and right. this Super Bowl. But I don't know. Maybe he's not into sports. He is an English teacher, and all English teachers are dorks. Right. All they do is read <laughs> and write. All they do is read and write, and they never watch sports. So I had another pitch for this show because Timothy Oliphant comes in as a like a special guest star. And I'm wondering, because I've seen Oliphant and other stuff, he's really good in Deadwood. He is really good in uh, Justified. Why isn't he? I mean, if you can get Franco, you get Franco. But would Oliphant have been a better lead for the show? That's an interesting point. If they could have gotten you know, him. I think, yeah, maybe. But... um. Because he's gonna be, he's gonna be apparently be on like three or four episodes, and he doesn't seem to be doing much of anything else. But I, maybe I just love Oliphant, and I'm like, give me more of him. But well, I'm, I'm about to blow your mind because oh. I'm on the IMDb page for this Whoa. show right now, Whoa. and me. I don't see Oliphant's name. I see Josh Dumel. <laughs> Didn't we discuss this before? We discussed this beforehand, and I'm telling you, it says he plays Frank Dunning in eight episodes. Josh Dumel. Yeah. So, so before we recorded this, we were like, we were <laughs> we like, can't tell these bastards apart. We're like, okay, which one is it? Is it Dumel or Oliphant? And we looked, and we were like, oh, it's Dumel. They look so, they look so close to each other. And of course, I'm here fucking spouting out about how Oliphant should be the lead actor in this thing. You know what? I take that point back because I don't like Dumel, and I don't think that he, no, he shouldn't have been the lead. A little Dumel goes a long way. Whereas Oliphant. Yeah. If they could have gotten Oliphant, maybe they tried to get Oliphant for the lead. He said, nah. Franco said, yes. <laughs> I, like how, like, I like how you're trying to make me feel better like for my big-time mistake. It's all good. But, um, but yeah, I think it, uh, uh, Franco, if you could get him, it's kind of like the Abrams thing. You want the name. It's mm-hmm. on a Hulu. Not a Hulu. It's on Hulu. I just think, so. this, sh- I think this show would have been more interesting with a few different – like. Either a different lead, like a Caucasian lead, somebody who doesn't always like isn't always like ready to break into a smile, can like just be normal, right? And I don't know, I don't really know who that would be because obviously they're all Hollywood actors, so they're not normal. Or it's a black guy. I really, I really am pushing for like a black lead of this show. I think it would have been super interesting because he's not at the the boarding house anymore. He has to stay somewhere else. So we we get to see like that side of America on top of him having to infiltrate like white society. Yeah, I, I just think really that's cool. too much with trying to solve the most. Oh, we got a racist here. <laughs> One of the biggest <laughs> mysteries slash conspiracies of the 20th century. Right. No, you almost it, it need a sense. hero built in, like a friend, someone that everyone already loves. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, if you're gonna get a black dude, you better get like um, uh, Kevin Hart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you better man. get somebody that's like bopping. Don't even say that. They'll have Kevin Hart in this tomorrow, and they'll just act like Franco wasn't even replaced. But it would be very interesting. It's it's funny that you mentioned because I I just wrote down at one point Franco's smile. Like when he smiles in the classroom, I'm like. Dude, I love you. Why can't you just? <laughs> I want a poster of this man smiling in my bathroom so when I get ready he's every just, morning. He's always he's like Jimmy Fallon on the show. He's yeah, always yes. ready to break. I don't he, not even like good funny stuff. Like he's having an argument with Cooper and like this is like little smile on his face and I'm like get that you're arguing. 
So right. th- that bugs me. Now, this is obviously too close to Mad Men, but what about John Hamm in this role? I think, it, yeah, if, if he... The, the hand bone. If you go back in the time machine and make it so he didn't do Mad Men, this would be, you know, be you put this show. on AMC with him and you're, he's winning again. Yeah. This for sure. Be, this he, would be a perfect he, role he was, for him. He was unknown, basically, and handsome as hell, white, stereotypical, whatever. Who do you, um, who do you think's the worst person for this role? Like, who's the, who would be like one of the worst every met? I'm thinking like Jack Lee. Black. <laughs> Jack Black. <laughs> no, even like that, I could kind of buy him. Boyfriend Seth Rogen. I could buy him as much as I could buy Franco. I was thinking like um, Larry David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not gonna work. I'm um, not a traveler. I'm not a time traveler. Uh, I'm trying to think of like how he explains stuff in Curb. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a barbershop guy. Yeah, no, no I'm not a barbershop guy. I think maybe like uh, Dennis Quaid would be a good everyman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The he, the, 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 the the Quaid dog would be good in this. And the Quaid dog has done time travel in a movie that was you know pretty decent. True. No, so. I'm just glad we didn't get a Brit in here. No Brits, man. No Brits. I, I don't. No uh, Cumberbatch. Yeah. No, no Ricky Gervais. <laughs> no Cumberbatch doing an American accent. I'm good on that. Let's just get a, a cold-blooded American in this role. What about um? What about Sudeikis? Well, I don't. I'm not a fan, but Sudeikis, could... Sudeikis is in a serious movie right now called Race. Isn't he like a smiler though? Couldn't you see that like little he's a, smile he he's, does? He's a fucking smiler, big time. Yeah, can't have that. You got Franco, okay, whatever. But okay, what about Aaron Paul? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. He has kind of. Mm. I don't want to say he's fallen off, but he's not like. He's in between Batman movies. <laughs> so that's good. Oh, Aaron Paul, not yeah. Aaron, the other guy. Wait, Aaron Paul, no. Who are you thinking, thinking of that's in Aaron, between uh, Batman movies? The guy that plays Two Face in the. Oh, night. Aaron, Aaron Eckert. Aaron Eckert, yeah. I, sorry, I confused <laughs> He hasn't done a Batman movie in like five, six years. Aaron Paul. Uh, I don't. What are we going to do with Aaron Paul? We okay. have about five minutes left, by the way, in this 80 minute beast. So, so we got hit on a more but there is a new hulu show hulu show coming out i don't know if you've seen the trailer it's called the path and it's um him michelle monaghan from true detective season one the girl in that show Mm -hmm. okay and hugh dancy who is the detective in hannibal dancy is like this cult leader and aaron paul is like his troubled disciple Ah, I think that okay. that it looks pretty. I would watch the trailer for it after we're done today because it looks kind of cool. It looks like something we should definitely delve into when it premieres, like in March. If anybody on Earth can play a troubled disciple, yeah, it's Aaron Paul, he's, as he has proven. He's he's looking good in this show. He's looking yeah. real good. It's like because I like him a lot. I don't want this dude to fade out with just break. Not like if all you did was Breaking Bad. I well, mean, that's still awesome. But he's, like, he's not a Need for Speed hero. He's not yeah, like yeah. the he shouldn't have the hero shot. He should be the troubled side character, and he's a char- he's a character actor, which is good. That's I a, mean, look at Chris Cooper. I mean, he's probably one of the best character actors of all time. You know, I was hoping that the old guy would be Willem Dafoe so we can get a Spider-Man... A little nod to the Spider-Man. Because actually, Chris Cooper plays that Willem Dafoe Dafoe role in the new Spider-Man movies. So there's a little connection there. There's a little connection. It's like they're in the different franchises. But yeah, he's uh, Chris Cooper, really good in American Beauty, by the way. Yes. 
Okay, so we've got a couple more things to do really quick. The first one is a new feature, and uh, we're going to call... And I actually have a checklist of the stuff that we should have done in this episode, and I don't think we've done it yet. <laughs> so uh, it's called Love and Television. All right? Okay. And you're, you've got about one minute to tell me if this... So I'm going to be married in July. You are already married last year. So I think it's important, since any show we watch, we're going to have to watch it with our spouses, <laughs> to talk quickly about if this show, if we could watch this show with our spouse, if they would like it, and why. So okay. I'll let you go first. All right. Well, I did give this some thought. And I would say um, my spouse would sit through this. Sit but... through it, not love it. She would not love it. She would love looking at James Franco instead of me for 80 minutes. <laughs> she would love the 60s parts because in her mind, that is where she was raised by her family who chose to stay there. Mm. Okay. And I think it's too real. That's, that would be, she doesn't like real shit. She likes rom-coms and little sitcoms and happy bullshit. I think her job and her life is real enough that she uses it as an escape. Right. She's, now, what's her job? Uh, it's healthcare. Right stuff so she's dealing with real shit every day yeah so <laughs> she doesn't watch tv to get raised and educated like i do she watches it to blow off steam you know mm -hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna say she would sit through it for my sake i think that courtney she would she'd enjoy the plotting and she'd want to know what happens she's like a big i want to know what happens person so much so that she might sneak a look at imdb and check out the book synopsis if we started watching this i would bet that would happen I th I don't think she's super fond of Franco though. There's something hmm. like about Franco that I don't think all women are on board with. I think it's like his swarminess. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he's kind of yeah. like always too cool, a little greasy. I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure she's super into him. So I think that would be the stumbling block. If I can get her to watch like one, I bet you I'd hook her. But it would be that one that would be like the tough one. Interesting. So and there's no like she likes strong female characters. Like that's. None here. No, no, <laughs> not yet. Female, anyway, not yet, and that's something we didn't talk about. But there's no strong female characters here. All right, so to wrap up, you can watch this on Hulu. You do need a subscription, I believe. Uh, it's like nine to fifteen dollars a month, right? Yeah. Okay. Give or take. But it's only on Hulu, and of course, the question we always finish with, if if we remember to ask it, which we're gonna t we're going to from now on, we're trying to be more organized now. We're trying so, to get our shit together. So. Uh, our last question is, will we theoretically, because sometimes we say we're going to continue to watch it, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. we don't, just because we're, do we're busy. But in terms of like just general interest, would you theoretically continue to watch this based on the pilot? Yes, I would. I would as well. I think it has a ton of good hooks in it. Awesome. Well, that's all we can ask for in a study of a pilot. That's all we can ask for. And uh, of course, uh, what, let's do some quick plugs. What's your Twitter? At underscore Grimes John. All right. And I am at Chris Lantinen, C-H-R-A-S-L-A-N-T-I-N-E-N, because everybody misspells it, so I guess I had to put that it's out It's a tough there. one. It's a and tough one. And, of course, we are part of the Modern Vinyl podcast family. You can follow Modern Vinyl over at Modern Vinyl on Twitter and at modern-vinyl.com. So go and check out the flagship show, the MV Podcast, along with Pilot Study. Um, the Vinyl Crawl, which is one beer, one album every week. Really cool. Check that out. Format it like a pub crawl. And <laughs> Misaligned, which is three really, really great girls who kind of give a female perspective on a lot of the music industry issues that are hitting this week. So I assume they'll be talking about Kesha in their yes. next episode, which will be interesting. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. This has been Pilot Study episode number 14. 
And when you next catch us, we will be talking Roseanne and finishing up our other side of the wrong side of the tracks theme month. Excuse me. All right. Thanks, Grimes. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study.